also want to make you aware of uh, another avenue that, that we are making available uh, starting today that uh, will provide a, a way to communicate with you, a way for you to stay informed on what's going on. Uh, we have uh, released an app for uh, your, uh, your phones or your tablets, and uh, you can go to your, your app store and uh, search for the Colonies Church of Christ. You can go to our website at thecolonies.org and you'll also find instructions there. Within the app, uh, as I mentioned, uh, there's a, a news section where you can keep up to date with the events that are, that are going on, the calendar. And uh, you also will be able to make uh, payments, whether that is your contribution. Uh, there's a section that you can... Uh, you can automate your contribution if you do that uh, with all of your other bills. It may be uh, helpful for you to do that with your contribution. You'll be able to pay for the Wednesday night meal or any of the, the youth activities, uh, those kinds of, uh, or women's activities, those kinds of events. You'll be able to pay that uh, through the app. And we want to encourage you to, um, to take a look at that and uh, to begin to, to utilize that. And... I don't uh, want you to, to think that, that I miss the irony that we are in this study uh, called Distracted in which we are, are looking at how technology can be distracting to us and at the same time we're releasing a, an app that is utilizing technology. But remember that the, the goal of this isn't for us to be anti-technology, but rather it is for us to leverage technology for the formation of of our souls into the image of Christ. In 1918, Charles M. Schwab, not to be confused with the investor, uh, Charles H. Schwab, but Charles M. Schwab was uh, one of the wealthiest men in the United States. He was the, the president of Bethlehem Steel Company. It was uh, one of the largest uh, shipbuilding companies. It was the second largest producer of steel. And he was looking for a way to continue to improve the efficiency of his company. He invited a man by the name of Ivy Lee to come in to, uh, to, to speak to his executives about uh, productivity. He asked Ivy Lee how much it was going to cost, and Lee responded that it didn't cost anything unless it worked. He said that uh, he, he asked for, for 15 minutes with each executive. And he introduced what has become known as the Ivy Lee method of uh, productivity. And it was a pretty simple method. He asked all of the executives at the end of the day to identify the, the six greatest priorities for the next day. And then to prioritize those six items based on which is most important. The following day, whenever they came into work, they were to devote themselves exclusively to the first item on that task list until it was finished. And then move to the second, and then the third. And, and whenever they got to the end of the day, if they didn't have everything finished, they were to trans, transition those to the next days and, and fill out the remaining six items for the following day's list. After three months, Charles M. Schwab wrote a check for $25,000 to 
to Ivy Lee. That is the equivalent of about $400,000 today that he paid for 15 minutes worth of time with each executive. That is an incredible amount of money, but they found it that helpful. Because in a complex world, simple rules, they, they help us navigate the complexity. And we live in a complex time. And the teachings of Jesus are similar to Ivy Lee's. He doesn't present this complex model, but Jesus consistently simplifies things. He simplifies the entire law into one word, love. And Jesus even offers a prayer at one point in Matthew chapter 11, thanking God that He has hidden these great truths from the wise and the, the educated, those who are, are learned. But He's revealed these things to children. And how can you reveal them to children if they aren't simple? Throughout the last three weeks in our study together, we have, have tried to kind of lay, lay the foundation of the theology of technology and, and our calling, our place in this world to give us a, a frame of mind to think about how to use technology, what, what, it, what it does to us, and who we are as followers of Jesus. For the final two weeks, I want to get very simple and practical with us. To offer some tangible takeaways for how we are to live under the simple rule. Love God and love your neighbor. It's so good to see you this morning and I'm glad that you are here for this series. I want to invite you to stand with me We'll read together from Romans 12. Then remain standing and we'll continue in song together. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. This morning I want to begin with talking about one of my, my least favorite stories in, in the Bible. I, I just, I don't, I don't like it. I, I struggle with this particular story. And, and you find it in, in John chapter 8 as... as some of the, the people in, in an area, they have found a woman in, in the, the midst of committing adultery. They drag her out of the bed and bring her in front of Jesus. And John 8 verse 5 says that uh, Moses commanded us to stone somebody that is in this kind of position. And they turn it to Jesus and they say, what do you say? about this. And then Jesus, He tells them that whoever is without 
sin can throw the first stone and begins to just draw in the ground until every single one of those accusers walk away. And many have tried to guess what it was that Jesus was drawing in the ground. Maybe He was just doing something to distract from the woman. Maybe He was just drawing the attention there instead of her and her exposed state. Or maybe He was writing out some of the sins of the accusers. Maybe the the names of the people that they have committed adultery with. We don't know what it is that He draws in the ground, but we know that everyone walks away. And after the last man walks away, Jesus stands up and in verse 10, He asks the woman where the people who have brought her here are. She answers that that no one is left. Verse 11, Jesus says, Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. I've got to be honest, I, I, I do not like this story. I, I would almost even use the strong language of hate this story. And it's not because of the grace that He extends to the woman. I, I actually kind of like that part. I, I, I like the grace of Jesus. The part that I hate is that He makes it sound so simple. That here's this woman that, that's been caught in this sin and the, the simple answer of Jesus is, is go and, and stop sinning. Go and don't do this anymore. And I hate that because I know the struggle that I have with my own sin. And it doesn't ever seem that easy. It seems so much more complicated than just stop it. Because I've tried that. And I sit there and wonder what the backstory of this woman is. I mean, what if she's grown up without a father? What if she is using sex in order to get some sense of self-worth? That that she grew up and never received the affection of a man and she's desperately searching for that now. And, And just saying, go and stop doing this, it doesn't provide that that grounding that she needs in order to stop it. Or what if What if the woman has been abused her entire life? What if she is experiencing a a deep sense of loneliness and she's using the, the moments of pleasure within sex as an escape from the harsh realities of her life right here and and right now? And Jesus just says, Stop it. I wonder. Is it really that easy? There was a Hungarian engineer that wanted to present a, a 3D model of, that, that, that would explain uh, geometry in, in a three-dimensional way. And after a long time of, of piddling and, and playing around with different conceptions, he finally created a, a cube that had 
uh, nine uh, pieces on each side and, and the pieces would revolve around themselves. We now know that, that invention as a toy, the Rubik's Cube. He colored the sides just to, to provide uh, a visual of the, the, the shifting and moving that, that would take place as the, the sides revolved around the centerpiece. But because he didn't design this as a puzzle, he then realized that, that he had created a problem that he could not solve himself. We've since learned that there are 43 quintillion uh, presentations that a Rubik's Cube can be found in. Just to provide a, a little bit of, of context for what 43 quintillion is, that, that's 43 with, with uh, 18 zeros. You could take, uh, I, I read that you can take a, the, the Rubik's Cube shape and and you can place that, you can stretch that across the face of the earth and cover it 275 feet high. That, that's just an, an enormous number that, that my mind can't wrap around. And yet, it has been discovered that any of those 43 quintillion uh, possibilities, that they can be solved in 20 moves. And 20 twists that, that, that is called the, the God number. That, that if you could memorize all the possibilities and you could just look at, at that Rubik's Cube, that in 20 moves, you could solve it. Now, no human has the, the ability to, to do that, but the, the world record for solving it in the fastest time currently stands at about five and a half seconds. It took, took Erno uh, Rubik... Uh, a month to to solve it the first time. Maybe you as a as a child had a Rubik's cube, and you spent some time playing around with it and trying to to solve it, and and maybe you, like so many, grew frustrated because of the complexity of it. That you figured you could start to solve one side, you could start to kind of put some of it in order, but, but then in order to get the other side fixed that you were messing up what you had just done. And it seems so complicated. And yet, the reality is that the solution is pretty simple. That there are specific algorithms, just a, a certain set of moves, that you learn these set of moves and you will be able to manipulate that Rubik's Cube in any way that you desire. The problem is that we get overwhelmed by the complexity. Or to use the language of this series, that we get distracted by all the other things that are going on, that we lose focus on the simplicity of it. That's what Jesus says time and time again. One example is in Luke chapter 9. The end of that particular chapter. Verse 57, as we pick up the reading, Jesus and His disciples are walking along the road and a man said to Him, I'll follow you wherever you go. 
Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Jesus says that you have to have this this singular focus in order to be a follower of Him. That you can't start this project, you can't start this work, and then all of a sudden say, I need to do something else for a little while. And technology, it provides easy forms of distraction, addictive distractions primarily through passive and unaccompanied use of screens. Technology has mastered the art of of distracting us. All of the the notifications that that you have that, that pop up on your devices... They have been specifically engineered. The the colors of them, the sounds in which they they make, they have been specifically engineered to to get you to re-engage with their their app, their service that they are providing. These addictive behaviors, they, they make us they don't, they don't just distract us from the ways of Jesus, but they also serve a purpose. They, they make us feel like we are significant if just for a few fleeting moments. They provide a way of escape whenever we feel some sense of pain or discomfort. It's interesting that two of the temptations that Jesus faces are are, are directly connected with those uh, those those uh, purposes. Jesus was was confronted by the devil several times to to prove himself. If you are the Son of God, prove who you are. And he was also provided an escape. The devil provided him an opportunity to to get what was going to come to him, to, to be ruler of all of the earth, but to escape the pain of the cross. And Jesus responded each time with a clarity of focus. C.S. Lewis in his book Screwtape Letters, in which he imagines what takes place in the spiritual realm as demons try to to tempt and distract humans from being followers of Jesus. He imagines something called the the nothing strategy in which humans get to the end of their life and realize that they have not done anything that they should or in fact anything that they really liked. And yet their, their life was busy. 
And this is the problem of our technology. And I want to talk about a way to get back on track. See, your devices, they have utilized what is known as nudges. Those notifications, they are nudges. They're they're small changes in the environment that make specific actions more likely. And they have mastered the art of nudges. Jesus boils down the purpose and aim of our lives to two goals. To treasure God with your whole being and then to pour out your God-centered joy and love for others. And he says, on those two commands, all of life is framed. And if he were speaking to us about technology, he would say that our use of our smartphones depend on These two commands. And it's simple. But it may not always be easy. Because in order to be a disciple, it requires discipline. You cannot be a disciple without some discipline in your life. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, invites all to come to Him, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you, verse 29, and learn from Me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The word learn is the the word Disciple. It's where we get the root word disciple from. Jesus says that that in order to have this easy life, you have to do the things that He has done. And we so often go about our lives expecting the results of a life like Jesus without doing the discipline, without doing the work that Jesus did. See, Jesus was was raised in an environment that utilized nudges. He was a Jew and, and Jews had been given specific instructions about how they were to be raised as young people. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is one of the places that God gives these instructions as He calls Israel to listen, to be careful to obey all of the commands that they have been given so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Here's the important part. 
that I want to focus on this morning. Talk about them whenever you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Do you hear the, the nudges that God calls the people to create for their lives? Throughout the Old Testament, whenever something significant takes place, God instructs them to design something physical that is a reminder of what has taken place. For example, whenever they get into the promised land, God once again parts the waters. And He tells Joshua to send some people back in to go and grab some large stones and to set them up there on the shores of the Jordan River as a reminder that God delivered them into this land. Here in Deuteronomy 6, God gives instructions for them to write the Scriptures down and to, to hang them on the, the door frames of their houses so that every time they come into the house, they think about God's commands. To hang them on their gates so that whenever they enter the edge of their property, they are reminded about the commands of God. Their world is centered around the instructions of God. So let me encourage you as we get practical to design your space to keep technology in its proper place. As you think about the space that you live in, have you created it? Have you designed it in such a way that distraction is at the centerpiece? Or... Have you designed it in such a way that God's Word is at the centerpiece? For most who use technology, the phone, in particular checking Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, some form of social media, is the last thing that you do whenever you go to sleep and it's the first thing that you do whenever you wake up. We have designed our houses where the, the television is at the center of our home. All of the chairs are organized around that space. And so we wonder why it's so easy to follow the ways of the world and so difficult to follow Jesus. Because we have designed our space that, that has these nudges towards distraction rather than towards the, the focus that we so desperately want and need. See, the bottom line is that you need to fix your eyes on Jesus. Hebrews 12, verse 2 says to fix your eyes on on Jesus. As you are running the race of your life, the key is to fix your eyes on Jesus. What is the first thing you do in the morning? What is the last thing you do before you fall asleep? 
What do you talk about during the transition points as you move from one appointment to the next? The 1950s, the New York Yankees were the premier baseball team. Yogi Berra was the catcher. And you have probably heard a lot of the the famous sayings that he has created as he loved to talk, and he loved to talk during a baseball game. He used his words to distract players. The Milwaukee Braves were an up-and-coming team. They were a new franchise. The star of their team was Hank Aaron. As they met in the World Series, Hank Aaron came up to bat. Yogi Berra began to talk to Hank Aaron in order to distract him. And he started to tell him that he was holding the bat wrong. He said, Hank, you're holding the bat wrong. You're holding the bat wrong. You're supposed to hold it where you can read the label. Aaron never responded. During that at-bat, Aaron hit a home run over the left field fence rounded the bases, and as he stepped on home plate, he looked over at Yogi Berra and said, I didn't come here to read. He knew the reason that he was there. And he was not going to be distracted from that. The reason that we are here is to keep our eyes on Jesus. Keep that kind of of clarity, that kind of focus. That you are not to be distracted. You didn't come here to read, but you came here to serve Jesus. Dusty's picked a song of invitation to help us to focus on Jesus. And if you are here in need of prayers, that you are struggling with the complexity of life, we invite you to come. To come to one of our shepherds so that they can pray for you. That they can pray that this God who's parted the waters, the God that, that has raised Jesus from the dead, that He would act in your life. If you need to come, to Jesus. You need the salvation that is only available in Him. Then we invite you to respond during this song. Our shepherds will be at the back of the worship center. I'll be at the front. You can go either direction as we together stand and worship together.